The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. If you're here in the northeast part of the United States, I hope you're able to run and walk with ease. The snowstorm that wasn't was didn't hit us too hard, but I understand other parts of this part of the country got hit pretty hard. So if you're snowboarding or cross-country skiing today, we welcome you. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP, if you're keeping track, episode number 272. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I think I see the buzz skiing by. The buzz is a quote from Stacy Harris who did a report in 2011 for Burson by Deloitte. I think Stacy's been on one of our Game Changers shows and we've already tweeted this quote. Listen up. High impact HR organizations focus on continuous improvement not radical HR transformation. Just let that sink in for a second. Our topic today is digital winners making digital HR real. So now you have an idea what we're going to be talking about. Let me tell you a little more. Organizations that fail to continually update their leadership approach are at risk of falling by the wayside because the pace of change in business is not slowing down. We know that. It's a fact every single day. It's galloping along. It's accelerating. It's happening around you. Open your eyes. Look out the window. Look out the door. Look on the Internet. Executives of high-functioning organizations, we're going to call those digital winners. They excel at communicating a couple of things. Number one, a company-wide digital strategy. They excel at keeping their management and worker skills up to date. And they excel at streamlining their organizational structure. Think of this almost as a job description for digital winner executives in organizations that are known to really do everything great. What's also interesting about these executives is they embrace diversity as an investment. They listen to millennial executives. Now, that's an interesting concept. We know there are millennials in the workforce, just droves and droves of them, but they are ascending to executive positions. And these executives invest in their workforce. It's a lot to to talk about. Is your company there yet? Are you a digital winner? Are you a high-functioning organization? If you aren't, this is the place for you to stick around for the next, oh, let's see, the next 55 minutes or so. So let me tell you who's on our panel today. We have a quick shout-out, by the way, to David Fowler at SAP, who I know is listening and used to sponsor our Future of Business with Game Changers series. Hope he'll come back soon. So here on the panel today, we have Deidre Packnad. She's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Workboard, one word, and we'll ask her in a few minutes to tell us what they do. Joining her on the panel, another newcomer, Jason Averbook, co-founder and CEO of a company called LeapGen, one word also. And rounding out the panel is our good friend, 
And she is the sponsor of her own series with us, which is Changing the Game with HR. It's Dr. Patty Fletcher, well known to many of our listeners. She floats between series. She's here. She's there all over the place. She's all over the world, actually. Patty is a solution management futurist, I'll call her, at SAP Success Factors. So let's start the party with Deidre Packnat at WorkBoard. And Deidre has sent us a quote. It's very, very well known. Time and tide wait for no man. I think we'll have to say no woman, no child, no millennial, no anybody. But where does the quote come from? Interestingly enough, most of us assume it came from Geoffrey Chaucer. Not exactly right. It came way earlier from somebody named St. Marer, M-A-R-H-E-R, from 1225. It's also been attributed to the likes of John Scott in 1530 and Thomas Nash in, and Richard Braithwaite in 1596 and 1630 and Sir Walter Scott in 1822. Let me read you the Old English version. And to tide and to time, pat to t- aborin were shall beyond Ibelstedt. I did it. I'm going on record. I just spoke Old English. Deidre, Packnad, Time and Tide, Wait for No Man. Welcome, Deidre. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. And hey, thank you for doing the Old English version of that. I don't think I could. <laughs> I think it was abysmal, but, you know, they didn't hire me to, to write old, speak Old English, so I think I'm safe. So, Deidre, welcome. Love the quote, and, and I was talking in my opening about the fact that things are moving so fast, the pace of business is just galloping on. So talk to us, how did this quote, how does it relate to our topic, and how did you find it? Well, it's a, it's a favorite quote, I think, for a lot of people, right? It's, it's poetic in many ways. But what resonates with me in the quote is tide, in this instance, isn't referring to the rising tide, right, the ocean and the ebb and flow. It's really referring to the change and the momentum of change in the environment around us, in the world in which we live and operate. And it is, of course, a very antiquated quote, but it refers to the sort of ever-changing nature of our environments, our communities, our marketplaces, and so on. And as the momentum of change starts to build in our communities, it's very difficult to stand against that tide. We may hate the change, but nonetheless, uh, time and tide wait for no man. And probably for no HR team, no HR department. What's interesting is we're using the term digital HR, and I think that shows that time and tide have not waited, and HR has to be digital. Can you make a quick comment on that, Deidre? Is HR considering itself a digital function these days? Where, how long ago did they realize that, or are they realizing it? I think the, I think organizations, right, beyond HR, right, we have a, a digital strategy for how we're going to engage employees and customers. And those are, I think, the handshake of of enterprise today, right? How will we engage our customers and how will we understand the data about those that helps us re-engage them in better ways? And likewise, how will we engage our workforce, our employee base? How will we use data and information about them to better engage them in the mission of the organization? I think for a lot of HR organizations, it's a... Uh, it's a path that they started walking down some time ago. I suspect that in HR, as in look broader in the enterprise, there are uh, agents of change who find that the pace of, uh, of progression in HR organizations is not fast enough, and there are mm-hmm. others who find that pace too fast. And I think thus is the nature of real major shift in the way we operate functionally, right? That some of us are restless and some of us are resistant, and change agents sort of have to press forward anyway. 
through their impatience and through the resistance that they face in the organization. Very well put. Thank you, Deidre. I, I want to tell everybody that Deidre's name is spelled D-E-I-D-R-E, and, and it's a very interesting pronunciation, and we've memorized it, so we want to be very respectful here. Deidre, you just mentioned a key word in the quote from our next guest. Whether you knew it or not, the word is change, and I'm now about to introduce Jason Averbook, co-founder and CEO of LeapGen, and Jason has chosen to quote Jack Welch. I want to read a little something about Jack Welch's background that our panelists may or may not know, but it has a little bit to do with HR, which is not usually what we think of when we think of Jack Welch. First of all, John Francis Jack Welch, Jr., retired American business executive, author, by training, he was a chemical engineer. He was the chairman and CEO of GE, General Electric. Electric from 1981 to 2001, during which time GE's value rose by 4,000%, and his severance pay when he retired was $417 million, the highest ever in history. But here's what's interesting. Before I read the quote, Jason, in 1961, Welch planned to quit his job as a junior engineer at GE because he was, number one, dissatisfied with the raise they offered him, and number two, he was unhappy with the bureaucracy he observed at GE. However, Somebody named Reuben Gutoff, an executive at GE, persuaded Welch to remain and promised he would help Jack Welch create the small company atmosphere that Welch desired. I thought that was interesting. Jack Welch almost was fired, actually, when uh, a factory had an explosion. He was managing the factory, and it almost blew the roof off the facility in 1963, but he kept his job. So, uh, from humble beginning, certainly somebody who had something to say about how a company was run, and I think that probably trickled upward into HR. Here's the quote from Jack Welch that Jason has selected. If the rate of change, Deidre, there's that word, if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside the end is near i want to i want to hear a boom or a drum roll or something jason averbook how are you and welcome thank you very much i'm great thank you for the uh, background on jack welch did you know that he was so unhappy with the way the company culture was that he he wanted to quit did you know that no i didn't that's a new uh, new learning for me so uh, great to uh, great to have you share that Thank you. So talk to me. You picked the quote, and, and that word change is all over this quote. What does Jack Welch mean by the end is near, and how does that relate to our topic of digital HR? So one of the things that I see all of the time, Bonnie, is basically that you know organizations, and it's even become much more the case in the last five years, is that organizations are playing catch-up to what's happening outside of them, their organization. So as an example... For the first time ever, uh, employees have better technology that's personally hand that they personally procure than what the company gives them to work with. Employees have better technology and better applications to get the data and the information they need to live than what the company gives them to work with on a day-to-day basis. And if we think about companies in the world, whether it be a Blockbuster, whether it be a Radio Shack. You know, the change on the outside or the change around them basically drove them, you know, to a point of non-existence because they couldn't change inside enough. So the, why I love this quote, Bonnie, is basically it's a wake-up call for me to HR or from Jack Welch to HR or the way I translate it to HR, which is look outside of HR. Look what's happening outside of your department and realize that if you're not changing and you're not innovating and you're not thinking different, uh, 
you know, that end, quote unquote, a little dramatic, but that mm-hmm. end is near. And if we don't make those changes, you know, we're going to fall further and further behind the rest of the world. Very interesting. Thank you. I, I like the way you wrap that up. I was a little concerned about the end is near thinking that uh, his factory almost blew up. It had an explosion, almost blew the roof off the building, and, and that would have been the end is near for him. Thank you very much, Jason. I'm glad we all learned something about Jack Welsh, and welcome to the show. We'll find out a little bit about your company and Daydreams in a few minutes. And now I know she can't wait to talk to us. Is Dr. Patty Fletcher. She and I just had a call a few minutes ago. It was only 14 seconds ago, wasn't it, Patty? <laughs> Patty has picked a quote that is so used, maybe overused, but it's it still works. It still has a ring to it. The quote is widely attributed to Peter Drucker. Before I read it, you might already have guessed what it is, but it was also attributed. Let me read the quote. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Okay, we've heard it a gazillion times. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, but there are variations. Edgar Schein in 1985 wrote culture determines and limits strategy thomas lloyd in 2000 wrote culture beats strategy mark fields at ford in 2006 was researched by joe geronimo martinez who said that mark fields said it in 2006 jack welsh aha jason jack welsh apparently said culture trumps strategy no no aspersions or allusions to our current uh, current white house occupant and in to, a 2013 book by kirk kaufman and kathy sorensen the title of the book was or is culture eats strategy for lunch so i think we have a meal plan here dr patty fletcher should we just go with peter drucker and leave it at that how are you patty i'm fine i'm, fine. I'm getting over a cold so i apologize for for my voice or actually i'm getting a cold but you you know, it is it is a, a quote that is always attributed to Drucker. Although the Ford um, quote, I think it was earlier than that that it was attributed to to him, and he's the one who supposedly said Drucker said it. Um, so, but yeah, it, the, the whole point though is that. What Deidre and, and Jason were talking about, right, both of them said change. And really what we're talking about is transformation because it's something that's sustained over time. And in order to have that happen, you need a fundamental shift in culture, right, a mindset shift where values are different, where what we believe to be true is different. When change programs fall down, and they do, 75% of change management programs do fail, and I would bet every one of these listeners, including all of us on the phone, have been through multiple change programs, but they fail because there's just a focus on the typical change management measurements, right? Number of calls that used to come in versus number of calls that don't come in or whatever change metrics there are, and those are critical because they are key determinants. But unless the culture changes, unless there is a an effort at all levels of the business, absolutely top-down but also bottom-up, people of influence, people who are decision-makers, people... Um, who demonstrate very clearly and have some influence over others, others that, that folks talk with, unless they physically demonstrate through their words, through their actions, that this new way of being, this digitalized world, um, is of value because everything we can get from it, from analytics to more efficiencies, unless that changes, you you won't be successful, period, end of story, right? So being part of that 25% of change management programs that succeed, you have to be paying attention to the people. 
Interesting. And, and I have a question for you, Patty. And I can tell you have a little cold coming on, but you still sound wonderful and you're always brilliant. So I'm glad you showed up. Uh, in my opening, Patty, I mentioned that executives of high-functioning organizations were calling them digital winners for purposes of this conversation, that they listen to millennial executives talking about change and talking about the end is near, which some people might say. How quickly are millennials rising to executive positions in these companies? And this is this a sign of a high-functioning company that they are allowing or encouraging millennials to rise to leadership positions. Any thoughts on that? We can go around the table on that one. Yeah, and I'll jump in and say, you know, millennials aren't so young anymore. <laughs> we have the generation oh, after no. them starting to enter the workforce, right? So, so they're they're going to be just like my generation soon, um, Generation X. But so, what do I think? It's it's a natural progression. I think probably more so in, in younger industries. Although I have seen some millennial executives, mostly um, male millennial executives, in in some um, industries. It, but for me, you know, I, I kind of uh, agree with what David Ludlow, who's um, the the head of solution management for success factors and his his whole view is that let's step away from generation and instead think about the impact right and so Deidre you know you you talk a lot about the tools and the expectations that folks have and and bringing and, and Jason I know you do as well around the consumerization and bringing that to work that's not just a millennial thing so when it comes to the digitalization there's that expectation of do I have tools that level the playing field. Am I able to um, am I able to, to get access to what I need to people I need? Um, are things faster and more efficient? And also, by the way, that corporate ladder that you think everybody wants, I don't necessarily want it because that's not the way I live. I want to live a different kind of life. So th- there's a whole gamut. Um, I'm not surprised to see millennial executives pointed out. It's you know, HR people are used to new generations entering the workforce, and they're used to developing those generations. The difference now is because of the impact, the digital impact of, of digital natives, that means that those strategies and engagements and tools and all those things that make up being part of the 25% are, are in place. Thank you very much. Patty, rest your voice for a second there. Let's go around the table on this one. Deidre Packnad. Uh, Deidre, I'm going to ask you to, to talk about this topic, and then we'll get Jason on board, and then I want to have each of you tell us what your companies do very briefly. So, Deidre, thoughts about millennial executives? I have a, quite a lot of opinion and mm-hmm. a little bit of fact about millennials, but Maybe let's drop the word executive for a second and just talk about what millennials bring into the environment. And I, I think at some level it doesn't matter how we feel about them. They will work where they are confident that they can create value, where they can innovate, and where they can learn. And if we step back from the labeling, to Patty's point, and we just talk mm-hmm. about do we want today in this time of digital transformation and where the markets are, right, where the competitive environment is, do we want people on our teams who will seek out opportunities to create value, to innovate, and to learn? Every executive I know wants a team full of people who have that as their uh, North Star, as their center of gravity, right? I think for millennials, there is a presumption that they can start their own company and if, so if you can't harness their appetite to create value, to innovate, to learn, they'll leave and go do their own thing that makes that possible. 
I don't think it means that because a, a young person goes out and starts a company, and by the way, that's exactly what I did when I was a young person is I went and started a company. <laughs> it doesn't mean that the company will be successful, but what mm-hmm. it does mean is that they will experiment, they will learn, they will iterate, and they will innovate quickly. That's what starting a company really means. And again, experiment, learn, iterate, innovate quickly. Those are things enterprise needs and values. So I think when we think about millennials in our environment, we have to drop a couple things. We have to drop this notion that you need to do your time to earn your way up the ladder. Time is not equal to earning your way up the ladder. Your potential and your impact and your rate of growth should drive your rise up the ladder to leadership roles, whether that's leading innovation or leading a team or leading something else, right? That it's not about paying your dues or... And I think it's a subtle bias we have that time is somehow a necessary component of your earning your way up the org chart. And if we drop that bias, we drop that assumption, I think what we will find is we can tap the talent, the speed, the sense of innovation, the drive to create value of younger people entering the workforce, we can tap that value more effectively and our organizations will benefit greatly from being able to harness that. Thank you very much. And uh, Deidre, before we move to Jason, tell us what does WorkBoard do, please? Just a 60-second overview, if you will. Yep, WorkBoard is a software company, a digital cloud-native software company that helps organizations operationalize, iterate, and achieve their strategies faster and engage their people and teams more holistically in those strategies. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, Jason Averbook at LeapGen. Jason, talk to us about labels and millennials and executives and high-functioning companies. Just a comment from you on what Patty and Deidre have been chatting about. Bonnie, I love how you exacerbate my Averbook part of my name, just to make sure that you uh, say it correctly. Every time you say it, I have an internal giggle. Um, I'm glad you're giggling. <laughs> you're welcome. You have the, you have the hard job of making sure people's names stay uh, pronounced correctly. I do. You're um, the first one in a thousand shows to acknowledge that, and I appreciate it greatly. You're you're a digital winner in my book, Jason. Go ahead. So when you when when you think about millennials, I mean the, the interesting thing, and I totally agree with Patty and Deidre on this, is that you know it, we. Millennials, and I'm just going to say this, millennials know best at the current moment how to serve our customers. Millennials know best at the current moment how to serve our customers because most of our customers, quote unquote, are millennials or are continuing to think like millennials. So as a father of two children, 12 and 9, who... Uh, would fall in the category after millennials. So mm-hmm. we, categorize, we categorize things like this. So forget the categories for a second. They've grown up as digital natives, not, not digital immigrants. And when I talk about stupid stuff like going to the office, they're like, what do you mean? What, what, why, why are you going to the office? Uh, when you hear something like, well, you have to go in and do this versus do it online, they're like, well, why would you ever do business with a company like that that makes you do that? And I think what's fascinating for us is, and I totally agree with Deidre, is that this concept of the ladder, I think, is gone. Um, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I think it should be gone. It's not gone in most organizations. So when we think about what makes an organization a digital winner, it is not just technology. And that's so, so important. It's culture, as Patty talked about. 
It's the concept of do I think processes like millennials are used to living their lives. And that's why these people, uh, I hate to call them these people, but that's why these people are, are so important to us right now. And I so agree with Deidre that it is easier than ever for them to think entrepreneurial. And they do it every single day. My son had a huge party on Instagram, my nine-year-old. This is scary, and it scares me to death to say it on radio. Huge party on Instagram because he got 200 followers. Um, And the interesting thing about that is he actually sees himself building a little community because the hashtag he put on Instagram was, thank you all, hashtag we did it. And I'm like, wow. Like, this kid actually sees himself as an entrepreneur, sees himself has the power to do things, and that's how people are growing up today. They don't know the old practices that many of us digital immigrants lived with. They know these new practices. And if we don't listen to them, include them on every single team, and think about them in our culture and strategy, we will not be digital winners. We will be digital laggards forever. Digital laggards, the end will be near, right, Jason? The end will for be many, near. For many organizations. So, Whether the factory funny, blows up or not, yes, go ahead. So what LeapGen does is we work with organizations to help them become digital winners. So we're a business consultancy that works with organizations to help them set out their strategy and plan, help them deploy that strategy and plan. And then to me, what's most important about what we do is help them continue to innovate over time because what we've seen is that we've seen so many organizations go alive and then all of a sudden move on to the next shiny penny. But really when Mm -hmm. they go live, that should be their go begin. So how do I continue to innovate as the world continues to change? So what we do is currently work with organizations to go through those three processes from a business consultancy standpoint. Thank you very much. Patty, what an interesting panel you've, you've brought us. And, and Jason, I'm still flabbergasted about your nine-year-old and his popularity and the concept of community and also the sense that he feels safe enough to do this, that he's digitally savvy enough, that you as a dad are accepting and nurturing, and that it, it is pockets of community all around us. Uh, I, I'm thinking when you go to the movies and they the Dolby a part of the just before the movie starts has anybody been to a movie right Right. and has anybody been to a movie theater besides me i try to go once every three or four weeks and try to find a decent movie but they say all around you and i always say it i whisper it along and it sounds like a nine-year-old saying it so yes it is all around us absolutely what an interesting conversation we haven't even gone to break it but before we do i have to ask each of my panelists a where are you calling from today not the google coordinates of the roof of your house or office and i'd like to know what are you drinking that makes you smile and what's giving each of you this energy this wonderful energy i'm feeling on the show today daydre where art thou and what art thou drinking to wax old english ish (laughs) (laughs) i am in palo alto california uh where i have been for what feels like 100 years now uh and of course if you are in palo alto then what you either are drinking or want to be drinking is something called a mint mojito, which is a creation of a uh, cultishly favorite coffee, local coffee place called Phil's, which is 
where mm-hmm. any startup person would definitely go for their coffee. And a mint mojito is iced coffee with fresh mint in it, too much sugar over a bunch <laughs> of ice cubes and a little bit of cream on top. And it is delicious. And once you have them, you want to have them all the time. Now, is this is the non-alcoholic version for daytime, am I right? It's a coffee <laughs> mojito, which I know sounds really, really strange, but it's remarkably tasty. Wow, because I'm looking up the mint mojito recipe here on drinksmixer.com, and they've got two ounces of Bacardi light rum. They've got a yeah, half an I ounce mean, of peppermint. that's a classic mojito, and if you're peppermint in Cuba, you have that. And gray goose, you know, five yes. o'clock. <laughs> yes. Okay. We're we're doing we're doing the the daytime. It sounds delicious. Thank you, Daydre. And I'm glad you're hopefully in in very sunny and very warm. Not here yet. The West Coast. Bless you, Jason Averbuck. There I go with that overpronunciation. Monsieur, where are you, and what are you drinking today that makes you smile? Shabani, thanks for asking. I am in uh, Manhattan Beach, California, where I live, which is a Southern California suburb of Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, yes, we are having better weather than the East Coast, which is where I was supposed to be today, uh, but didn't travel due to the snowstorm. Uh, and I wish my drink was so exciting, but it really makes me excited, so I guess that's all that matters. It is a drip coffee with some almond milk and one Splenda from a local yet chain, sorry, coffee establishment called Coffee Bean. So not that exciting, but it excites me, which is what matters. Well, tell me something. How do you spell coffee bean? I have a reason for asking the name of that chain. How do they spell it? Coffee bean. See, two words, coffee and then bean, B-E-A-N. Okay, because we had one here on Long Island. We have one called C-A-F-F-E-B-E-N-E, and they pronounced it coffee bean. And they just went out of business locally, but they are establishing themselves around Long Island. Apparently, this was not their better marketplace. but So it's not the same one, right? C-A-F-F-E-B-E-N-E? It's not, it's not even that interesting. It's the coffee <laughs> bean itself. <laughs> oh, by the way, I have, to, I have to tell you something else about Jack, Jack uh, Welch. But, Patty, what are you doing to cure that cold that's coming on, Dr. Fletcher? <laughs> um, so I'm having the predictable hot tea um, with some lemon and honey in it, and it's not working, um, but that's okay. <laughs> and um, the honey was from my trip to Barcelona a, a few weeks ago, um, so that's delicious. And I'm talking to you from um, just outside of Boston, and so, Jason, I have the opposite challenge that you did. I'm supposed to be traveling, um, but we got hit pretty hard between the wind and, and the snow, so that kind of shut everything down. So I will be using that technology and um, <laughs> uh, to connect with, with some folks, and uh, it's, it's difficult <laughs> for sure being here. But, yes, I'm looking at the snow and sipping my tea and waiting for my sore throat to go away. Feel better. Patty, question for you. How many inches did you get up there, Boston? We got close to 30 where I live. <gasps> Yeah, oh. the, winds were, the winds were close to 60 miles an hour. Just a few um, a few towns away, they had the actual blizzard, blizzard hurricane force winds. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Wow. I didn't mean to minimize it. We were expecting 18 to 20. We got 4.3 here on the north shore of uh, Nassau County, western, western Nassau, actually, just a, about a mile from the, the Queens, New York City border. Interesting. So, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. It just moved north, and there you are, Patty. Feel better. But I have one more comment to make to all of you about the background of Jack Welsh that I think is very germane 
to this topic. He said one of his primary leadership directives at GE was that the company had to be number one or number two in the industries in which it participated. So talk about communicating a strategy. It may not have been digital back then, but my goodness, they had to be winners. Any co- quick comment from anybody, Daedri or Jason? Do, or- do, you mind, do you mind if I jump in on that real quick? Please uh, do. Go um, ahead. Go. So one, I wish for my life that HR would think that way. Mm. Um, HR should, one of the things that drives me crazy about HR, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to go off on a, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it ties back to what you said, is oftentimes HR benchmarks itself against its its industry peers and tries to be the same. And in the world we live in today, we live in a world that in the in the business space, at least, in most organizations, we live in a world that's driven by competition, that's driven by trying to make each other better. So I wish that HR would strive to be number one or two in its work in being a digital winner versus trying to benchmark itself against organizations who aren't, quote unquote, digital winners, just so they can check the box that they've done it. I want HR to win, and to win means they get the best talent to be able to support their business being the number one or number two in a space. So I I love that component of Jack Welsh's thinking. I'm so happy that you do. I just happened to notice that in the bio. You can tell I'm, I, I really enjoy copying all these bios and reading them and looking at them. Deidre, any comments on that directive or Patty before we go to break? Eventually we'll get to break. I don't even know if we're going to take one, but uh, anybody else want to comment on that directive? I can't help myself. Um, so, Jason, kind of add, adding on to, to that, you know, it's and, and we'll talk a little bit about perhaps um, how we see the role of HR transforming, but I think what Jack Welch said is important, where it falls down is in the execution, always, right? So it's one thing to say, and it's another thing to make sure that all the tools you have in place, all of those reinforcement mechanisms that determine people's behavior, like why are you going to pay him a bonus? Um, those things tend to be in contrast. So, you know, how many of us have worked for organizations where they say things like, um, you know, sales, be, being hunters in the sales department is better than, than being farmers, only to find that it's only farmers we hire and tools that are in place for, for just nurturing relationships we already have. So it's awesome. I love how pointed he is. It's very clear, but it tends to fall down throughout the rest of the organization, absolutely in HR, but certainly in other parts of the org as well. Interesting. Deidre, any comments on this? <clears throat> I think Patty and and Jason have covered great ground, and I I can't enhance their comments. That's fine. That's fine. You know what? I'm tempted to not take the break, but I think because of Patty, we're going to take a 60-second break, let her wet her whistle with some more tea and honey, and give everybody just a break. We've been pushing pretty hard here, but what a great conversation. We're talking about digital winners making digital HR real, but our conversation has clearly expanded and grown. We're covering so much territory here. Great words of wisdom from Deidre Packnad at, where is she? She is at, let me go down here, Workboard. Yes, looking at my notes, Jason Averbo at LeapGen and Dr. Patty Fletcher, nursing her sore throat in Boston, 30 inches of snow, what a brave soul she is, at SAP Success Factors. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We will take just a really, really quick break. You don't want to think about not being there when we come back. I'll just say that. So to make it short, Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. 
Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, here we are talking about digital HR and all good things and what's happening with HR. Are they keeping up to date? What's the organization doing around them? Who is going to be number one or number two in their industry? What in the world does HR have to do with it? Let's start our roundtable. I think we've already been going around the table, but in formality, we will start the roundtable with Deidre Packnett at Workboard. And Deidre has sent me the following notes. We're going to make this real fast. She says, the rate of change is speeding up. Change isn't constant. It's accelerating. Let me read one more part here. Business models, marketplaces, competition shift now in a year. Deidre, talk to us. Yep. So what I mean by competition shifts in a year, we used to be able to, and back in the time of Jack Welch's assertion that you should be one or two in your market, you could dominate the market in size. And you could dominate that with the flow of revenue. And it was very difficult when he said that for a new competitor to sneak up on you, disrupt your market, reinvent the business model in that marketplace. It's very difficult. It would take years. Now, it's very easy for a more agile, nimble thinker to disrupt your market, not by doing what you do, but by doing something that obviates what you do. Airbnb, Mm -hmm. Uber, awesome examples of didn't see it coming, came from the side. Mm -hmm. When I saw it, I ignored it because I thought it didn't make any sense. That was irrational. Who would ever want to sleep on somebody else's couch? Good God. (laughs) And then market cap exceeds storied brands in the hospitality industry. So the, the threat, if you will, from complacency looks very different. And the uh, potential to be disrupted while we aren't paying attention looks very different. So I think one of the big imperatives for HR organizations, and I want to talk about HR's role in helping organizations define strategies, operationalize those, do the kind of organization change management and leadership development work that I think is uh, very high-value HR work. HR organizations thinking in that zone can help their companies think about strategy and operationalize strategies in ways that are change-optimized, not change-resistant. And if you have a change-optimized strategy, one that assumes that change will come, that designs that in 
as opposed to ignores that thought, then I think you're helping your organization create lasting advantage for itself. So a couple questions to ask. First, do you have a digital approach to communicating and operationalizing strategy? How do you do that today? It needs to be faster. It needs to be more fluid. It needs to be ever transparent. It needs to be digital by itself. So if you're using paper and PowerPoint to communicate your digital strategy, you're missing something. Second, design the presumption of change within the year. So instead of thinking about the five-year strategies and the one-year plan, think about in this year what we're going to learn about our markets, our competitors, and our opportunities, and our people, and what they'll expect, and design into the way you think about strategy and strategy communication the presumption that that strategy will change, evolve in micro and macro ways this year. That's essential to be a part of a learning organization. So if you have one strategic pillar, which is to be a learning organization, make sure your strategy can harness the things that the organization learns. The next is assume that a lot of the learning that will affect your strategy will come from the operational layer, the operating layers of the organization, not just the managing layers of the organization. Said another way, the bottom up, the people closest to the domains where the rate of technology innovation is very fast, that information from the operating layers of an organization will change faster and we need to make sure that insight, not just information and reporting, but insight flows up from the bottom as fast as possible so that it can reinform the larger strategies of the organization. And I think for the the change leaders in in the HR environment, in the HR organizations, the ones of of you that help drive a company through developing a strategy and articulating it, these are really important principles to think uh, about and to acknowledge when we talk about change in our domains. Thank you, Deidre. Jason Everbook at LeapGen. Thoughts? A lot of great information from Deidre. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, one of the biggest things to think about when we when we think about this specific, you know, this specific area of speed and change is that um, it, it often requires us to leap ahead. So, one of the things that we're used to doing in HR is we're we're, we're used to thinking incremental. So we're going to take a small step here. We're going to take a small step here. We're going to take a small step here. You know, because it takes a long time to take a step. In many cases, we may have to skip a few steps. And one of the things that that I try to encourage HR people to think about is that as as, as things speed up, they have to speed up. So as the world speeds up, the HR function needs to speed up, and therefore the expectation of the worker speeds up. So in order to do that, I need to think differently about how I structure my HR department, how my HR departments think, how my HR departments act, as Deidre said, how they, how they uh, spread information throughout the organization. And I have to have a DNA that's tied to innovation. If I don't have the DNA inside my HR organization that has innovation at its core, I'm missing a huge component that's not going to let me keep up with the speed and the pace of change. Mm, okay. Dr. Patty Fletcher, thoughts? Interesting. Yeah, and, and so just kind of 
using what, what Jason and Deidre said as a, as a platform, I think just stepping back and going, what does it take to succeed? And, and both of them have hit that. But I can't help but, but think about the work of Edie Weiner and, and David Pierce Snyder. Mm-hmm. Edie Weiner um, spends a lot of time, they're both futurists, and they spend a lot of time on the future of work. And what Edie said, much to what Deidre was talking about, where those barriers to entry that were huge, right, and we all learned about them in, in business school, that's changed so much. There's much more level playing field. And that's really um, informed this whole, what does it take to succeed? And so Edie's work is focused in on things like, we've moved from the have and have-nots, right, so the GEs to the small companies who, who couldn't compete, and that being the determinant of success, to instead having it be the can and can-nots. And then we add on top of that this thing called complex capacity. So I would add something to that change being the, the constant that it's accelerating. It's what that looks like. We live in a far more complex world than we used to. And when we talk about our world and we talk about business and we talk about the systems and the functions that support it, we tend to use a mindset of a closed system, right, a closed-loop system. But businesses are organisms. They have partners. They have customers. They have members of the workforce, some of whom are on the payroll, some of whom are not, um, who are contractors. And so what happens in our complex world with all of this technology is the, so Deidre and I have a conversation, she says something to me, it changes my mind, I tell Jason, it changes his mind, he talks to you, it changes your mind, and so on and so forth, and it just keeps going, and we apply the complex adaptive system theory to our world, right? So it just keeps ripple, 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 ripple. We can't control it anymore. If it ever does come back to us, it looks very different. We don't recognize it. So to Deidre's point about so we have this change, and it's not about being successful despite all of the acceleration of change, but being successful because of it. David Pearson-Snyder talks about this thing called complex opacity. So in the world of can-can-nots in our highly digital, highly complex, globalized world that where the world is flat, being able to raise leaders and individual contributors who have complex capacity means they are successful because of the complexity. And that means that they have tools, digitalization tools, where not only do they get the data, but they have the training to understand, to know what to do and what to read about it, which is a totally different topic and another great radio conversation. Um, but that is, is huge, and I'm happy, Deidre, that, that we talked about this topic because it's massive, and it becomes the, therefore, what is the role of HR? Not resilience, like we would think about in a traditional supply chain, but resilience in a new way. What are the tools? What are the training? Knowing for well, training only goes so far. The tools that we put in place are the things that reinforce the behaviors we want to see. Very interesting stuff. Thank you, Patty. It is, and I was very intrigued. You mentioned Edie Weiner. Uh, her company is Future Hunters, and she is a futurist. But what intrigued me is that we did a show on something called Templosion about a year ago on another one of our series, Patty. And her concept of Templosion is that massive amounts of change are happening in a more compressed frame time frame. So things are happening faster, and that's what we're talking about right here. So thank you for dropping that name. I looked her up and found Future Hunters, and yes, we're going to tweet about that. I'm going to quickly move. We're almost ready for predictions. Jason, I want to get one of your topics in here from your notes. Uh, very interesting to me. Tell me if you want to talk about this. If not, I'll pick one, another one very quickly. You say HR technology deployed outside of an HR strategy is wasted effort and money. Jason, what are we talking about? 
Yeah, so real quickly, Bonnie, the, the concept around um, an HR strategy. So if you think this is all about alignment. So everything I'm about to say is all tied to alignment. And what we need to do in order to make sure that any money we spend on technology adds value, which we hope that it does, is to ensure that we have alignment. And what is alignment really quickly? Alignment is I know that in my organization for this year, I have three to five corporate goals. And I go one level deeper and I say within those three to five corporate goals, HR also has three to five corporate goals and they should be aligned directly. They should be aligned directly to what those corporate goals are that, uh, that we just stated in the corporation. But when it comes to our technology, oftentimes what we do is we, we scream SOS. Uh, and I say SOS is shiny object syndrome, uh, mm-hmm. but that's not exactly what I mean. You know, we scream SOS like, okay, we've got this technology, we've got this technology, we've got this technology, we've got this technology, and guess what? No one ever sees the value in what we're doing. We have a hard time making a business case, not an HR case, and guess who ends up getting blamed? The technology vendor. So I truly, truly believe, and this is after you know, 20 years, 25 years, I'm getting older by the second, in this HR <laughs> technology space, the organizations that have been successful in deploying HR, and I hate to even call it HR technology today. I think of it as workforce technology because it impacts more than HR. The organizations that have been successful deploying workforce technology today have made sure that that alignment was tight, as tight as possible. So I could say the reason I'm doing this technology project is because it aligns to this HR project and it aligns, excuse me, aligns to this HR strategy, which aligns to this corporate strategy. If I'm buying technology just to quote unquote keep up with the Joneses, or I'm putting in technology without a great, great, great tie to the corporate and HR objectives, I'm doing nothing more than exacerbating a huge problem, which is buying technology only to see it not, you know, get the grade of a C or a D and then move on to the next thing. That doesn't move our space forward. It doesn't progress people's careers. Thank you, Jason. And Patty, let's see if we can squeeze in one quick comment here from your notes before we do a 60-second each. And I mean, we're going to really, really keep the predictions tight. Patty says, continuing, there's a continuing shift in determining who will be successful and who will not, and therefore how we enable them. And she says, we're moving away from a belief that success lay in the haves and have-nots toward one that understands success in the future of work and leadership will be in either a can or cannot complex opacity. Patty, a lot to cram into one minute, but can you elaborate just a drop for us, please? Yeah, and this really relates, Jason, to what you were saying, right? So this is not about putting tools out to the workforce. This is about putting the right tools, the right skills, the right fill-in-the-blank so that the workforce and its leaders can successfully execute on strategy. So what does this mean in the world of complex capacity? It means the same thing (laughs) that it meant before we had that concept, which is this. Think about Google. Right? They weren't out to, um, to create another search engine in the early days, you know, for those of us who read the book by their, their marketing guy, the, the Secrets of Employee Number, whatever he was at Google. Their strategy was to replace like 90% of a person's brain when it came to decision making. Right? For me, they've replaced almost 100. I can't think of what I do if I don't Google it first. 
Facebook has become the news mechanism for 60% of Americans or something who are on it, right? It's become essential tools. When it comes to complex opacity, there is a need for tools that help me replace the things that don't matter, right? A lot of the stuff, Deidre, that you talk about around efficiency. So the stuff that doesn't matter, it makes it better, but also gives me the insight that I need in order to make those decisions so much so that I can't live without them. We're moving away from this topic of adoption, thank God, because Jason, that's the topic that keeps stuff on the shelves. I almost swore there. Keeps stuff on the shelves. Um, And two things around addiction, and essential tools and really getting into the mindset of what does it take to be successful in a complex world and putting those analytic tools out there that feel like apps and feel like consumer apps and replace what I cannot do for myself or what I used to do but was really efficient and and not at all valuable to me. Thank you, Patty. I'm going to quickly move over around the table to Deidre Pecknad at WorkBoard. Deidre, 60 seconds. What will we be talking about on this topic if we met again in the year 2020 or any time in the future? Deidre, 60 seconds. Go. I think we'll be having a conversation that has far less opinion and is far <laughs> more fact and data-based. I think there's an enormous shift to uh, using data to drive the vast majority of the opinions we have or of the views we have about things. And, and we have just exited a decade's worth of uh, decision-making by management fiat and decision-making by hunch, gut feel, experience, all the different ways to say opinion. The second thing we will be, I hope, talking about how successful our organizations are as we moved from manager as administrator to manager as amplifier. And I think that's our biggest potential as organizations to drive change, to embrace change, to take full advantage of the potential of change is when we look at our managers, our middle managers in particular, as amplifiers, not administrators in our organization. And we enable them to be that. Thank you. Love that. Managers as ad, from administrators to amplifiers. Love that word. Thank you, Jason Averbuck. Prediction, 60 seconds, and I mean it. Go ahead, Jason. I believe that you know, in a year to three years, we're going to be talking about instead of people going to technology, the technology coming to people. Uh, and I believe that you know, we've grown up in a world where when we want a report or when we want some data, we have to go search for it. We have to hunt for it. In many cases, we get uh, depressed because we can't find it. Uh, we're, we're moving into a world of zero user interface, which is wherever we are, data, information, intelligence coming to us, and not just intelligence coming to us. So the first prediction is coming to us versus us going to it. The second is it's going to be prescriptive. Much of the data that I send out in HR speaks in the language of HR which, by the way, only we in HR speak. The business mm-hmm. doesn't speak that. So I need to take that language and prescribe, based on what, I, what that data shows me, what a business person should do with it. So the second prediction is prescriptive. The third prediction, by the way, is really tied to the concept that the future of work is all about talent. And organizations today have just, just, just gotten to the point of being able to shift from counting heads to making their heads count. And what we're really going to get to is we're really going to get to the point where we're going to say, in order to be competitive, 
I have to be an employer of choice. So everything I do from an HR standpoint is going to be tied to how do I become an employer of choice, not focused on doing transactions. Thank you very much. Patty, I have one sentence left for you. We're 30 seconds out to the end of the show. One sentence prediction. Dr. Patty Fletcher, go. Through the use of technology and all the stuff that Jason and Deidre talked about, my aspiration, because I don't know if we're going to get there, is that the CHRO becomes the voice of the workforce from applicant pool all the way to alumni, just like the CMO has used data, machine learning, artificial intelligence to be the voice of the market to their company. Thank you very much. Well done. Deidre Pecknett at Workboard. What a pleasure to meet you, Jason Aver, book at Leap Chin. I'll never forget your last name, Jason. Believe me, it's not the most difficult, but I'll never forget it. And Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP Success Factors. Patty, dig out, but only when you're feeling better. Go have some tea and, and honey right now. Kevin at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Thank you for being our engineer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. What an interesting conversation. Patty, we got to do part two of this. There's just so much. Be- wait, don't wait till 20. 20- 2020. We got to do it soon. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, especially if you're in 30 inches of snow. What are you waiting for? Right now, go out and be a game changer today. Stay warm, stay dry, stay safe. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.